Perhaps it won't be the last, last time. Maybe I'll get an invite back sometime, but it's the last time for this weekend anyway. Uh, first of all, just again, extend my own gratitude to the leadership and the membership here at uh, Trinity Baptist Church. Your generosity, kindness, your prayers, your, uh, just your invite to have me here and fill the pulpit. Thank you, Josh, for that privilege. I know you take it seriously, what comes from this place to the people, and, and I take it very seriously as well. So thank you for that invitation. Thank you, and would ask you to continue to pray for our family as we minister down at Camp Susqua. And I know all of you, well, not all of you, most of you, sometimes Google all sorts of crazy things on the internet. And so when you've just got nothing else to do, just go to susqua.org and check out our website and some of the neat things we're doing there at Camp Susqua and the ministry, the foundation there. And uh, if you want something for your kids this summer, we have a fantastic summer program. We have a few Canadians go down there and enjoy that. So just check things out. We've got retreats throughout the year, summit retreats for youth and so on. Uh, it's four and a half hours from here, so that's not too bad. It's easier than getting to Windsor in the middle of wintertime anyway. So, you know, come down south. We'd love to host you down there. But let's take our Bibles and turn to, uh, well, a couple of texts. I want you to put your finger in Hebrews chapter 11 for a moment. And we're going to bounce around just a little bit. Uh, whenever I come to the conclusion, if I'm doing a little series or something, is it's always, well, let's put it this way. When you have lots of family around for meals over, say, a weekend, by Sunday evening, what are you eating? Leftovers, all the rest of the things there what we didn't eat. So I don't want to think of tonight as leftovers at all. In fact, leftovers in my refrigerator are the best part of the meal, so it, it's good. But it's kind of collecting together some of our thoughts and, and finishing strong if we can, if not briefly tonight in terms of God's word. We've been examining the promises of God, past, present, and then tonight, future. The past promises which are so extensive in the scriptures, but specifically as we looked at God, our Redeemer. That God, in time before eternity, chose to save for himself a people, and the manner in which he chose to do it was through the redeeming grace of his son, Jesus Christ. What a marvelous theme to reflect upon. And yet, as Christians, while we, we think about the past, and as a church, we reflect upon 51 years of God's faithfulness, we've sung about that, and, and God's love for his church, we don't live in the past. We know that we have to live in the present. And so this morning, we considered God as our refuge. How does the, the work of God in our lives, how does his word impact our lives here today? I had a great conversation with one lady after the church, and the importance of thinking of our theology and the perspectives we have of Scripture in a dynamic way as to how they relate to my daily life. Would you agree that if all we do is stuff our heads full of good doctrine, but it doesn't get applied to our lives, it's almost, a, well, it is a waste of time. It really doesn't fit. So we want to be taking what we learn and apply it to our lives. And so much of the application of what we've been studying this last two days is really now on you and saying, okay, Lord, how will we start to put these things into practice? And so God is our refuge. And we encourage others, and if you're not a believer here tonight, if you're still considering Christianity, if you're thinking about your own walk in this world, consider Jesus. He's up to the test. Consider his word. It's robust and it can stand. It stood the test of time. It is God's word. It is faithful. You'll find their truth. And as Christians, don't be afraid to share the word of God. God can take care of himself. You do your work and share that with other people. 
And so we live in the present, and God's Word needs to shape us and mold us as families, as parents, as uh, workers, and so on. How do we live as God is our refuge, trusting in Him in every situation? And I thought about the message this morning and considering tonight, I thought, you know, I would love if it were possible for me to come and say, now, even though life is tough, tomorrow's going to be a better day. The rest of your life is going to be swimmingly smooth and everything will be happy. But you know I can't do that. Tomorrow may not be, in the world's terms, a pleasant experience. You might get news that disrupts your order of your day. You might find yourself feeling situations that are overwhelming. And yet, God continues to plan within us His encouragement, His strength, and we have confidence in Him, in the spite of all that we do, to be joyful and to rejoice in Him. Is that not true? And, but it gets better. It may not feel good sometimes, but we are living today, hopefully, in such a way now that we can think about the future. What does God have in store for us in the future? Again, we live in a world that gives us perspectives on what our lives should be like, but let me just begin with one text. We'll get to Hebrews in a moment. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. When we think about God's promises for the future, uh, Peter has some good perspective for us in 2 Peter chapter 3. Look what he says in verse 11. 2 Peter 3, verse 11. One of the great things about having a real physical leather and paper Bible is I know when you've reached the text. If it's in your hand, I never know if you've gotten there yet or not. Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, the world and heavenly bodies and so on, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of what's the, what's the heaven will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And notice this, but according to his promise, we are, what does it say? Waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which what? Righteousness dwells. There's the rub, you see. While we live in all of these things and all the challenges and everything around us, we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. I'll leave it to Josh and the elders here to unpack what that actually means and looks like and what the new heavens and earth. I'll give them the task of figuring that out for you. Go get them, buddy. But regardless of the intricacies and the mysteries of God's providence in these things, it's new, and we're waiting for it. And my encouragement tonight is, are we longing for it? Do we have a desire, I can't wait to get there? Is our heart a little sort of, uh, shall we say, giddy, if I can use that term in a proper way, like the Apostle Paul, I long for heaven by far, but yet I need to remain here. We, we, we want to get there. We long for these things. Well, there's two thoughts to that. One is, is it okay for us to long for something in the next life? And if so, how should we be living in this life in preparation for that one? I think the first answer to the question is, yes, we should long very much for the eschatological coming of Christ himself. We long for everything in Scripture, folks, is pushing us to point to that day. Everything points us to the consummation, we use that big term, of the kingdom itself, 
That's in a future day. And I'm not talking about the speculation and the goofiness that some of these end times writers get on their hobby horses about. None of that nonsense, if I can use even that word. But the wonderful, biblical, robust teaching that everything points to the coming of the king. We long for that day. In other words, life here really only has meaning when we see that that day is coming. If it weren't coming, I'm not sure what we would do. And so there's this perspective in Scripture, as Peter points out here, that we long for these days and looking for the Lord's come. So now go back to where your finger is in, in Hebrews uh, chapter. I learned that from my friend John Riesinger. Many of you know Pastor Riesinger, who preached here many times and was very influential in a lot of our lives. And, and he, uh, usually when he was preaching on a Sunday evening, we'd run out of fingers because he'd be so all over the place in the Word. I won't do that to you tonight. But I want us to look here in the text that Josh read for us here as we see in the book of Hebrews, a couple of things, and we'll just look at maybe one or two texts otherwise tonight, is we understand something of the book of Hebrews, particularly when we begin to come to chapters 10 and 11. Because when you look at this section here, you have this wonderful exposition in Hebrews right up till probably chapter 10 and, and the middle of the chapter there. But beyond that, we now have this perspective of, of looking forward as we reflect upon the past. Chapter 11 is often called, I don't know what, the gallery of the faithful or the, the heroes of faith and so on. And, and I'd encourage you to take some time meditatively to walk through this chapter and pinpoint each individual that's there, find them elsewhere in Scripture, and think about their life. Because there was something about them that God in His holy purpose chose to put them to Holy Scripture. So they're not incidental people. Some of them are kind of scoundrels that the Lord brought to wonderful conclusion in their lives. Some of them are Moses, Abraham, all these wonderful people, but there's a reason they're there. It's because God had done something in them that gave them the hope to look for something in the future and the excitement in their hearts as well. I'm just looking at the first couple of verses, particularly verse 6. This is sort of the heart of tonight when it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now again, under our theme text of Psalm 145, verse 4. Was it verse 4? I think I got the wrong. What was it? Psalm 145? Yeah, I was right. You should correct me if I'm wrong. You know, nobody's nodding. One generation shall commend your works to another, and they shall declare your mighty acts. Yeah, you've memorized it already. Good. And so if that's our goal again, then we notice here in terms of the perspective of faith that there's something of a reward. That's the word that's used here of the ESV, that he rewards those who seek him, who earnestly pursue him. And I want to just reflect on that uh, and what that might mean for us in, in our looking for the Lord to come. I want you to notice this first of all as we back up a little bit and see in this text the necessity of faith itself. What does verse 1 give us? It gives us a great description, if you will, of biblical faith, doesn't it? What does it say? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What jumps out into your mind right away when you see that? That faith, according to the Scriptures, is not something we can necessarily touch and feel. It is not something we can hold on to. It's something, as it says here, things not seen, and yet it is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith in the Scriptures is not 
you know, well, I, I, I really kind of hope that things will turn out all right. Not sure if it will. It's kind of sketchy. You know, we might win, we might lose. Is that what the biblical theme of faith is all about? No. It's the assurance of things hoped for. What is our hope? Our hope is in the Lord and his accomplished work on the cross. So if that is our hope, then it's the assurance. Dare I say, our entering into the presence of God himself is a done deal. I don't mean that to be crass in any way. But he sealed it with the Holy Spirit. And so what we're standing upon and looking forward to by faith is what God has accomplished by grace. Not what we accomplish, not what we do here. This description of faith is an inward attitude, this, this confident assurance, a firm and, and steady conviction about what is not present, but that we confidently expect. It's the assurance of what is not yet present, but we confidently expect it. If you have something, there's no faith involved. If I need to pay for gas when I go to the, the gas station tonight on my way home, and I have $50 in my pocket, that might pay for a quarter of a tank, but it, it's, it's, it's going to pay for my gas. It's, I, it's not, I'm not by faith, I have the money. No, faith here is, is assurance of something we don't see. And it's trusting in God to bless us in this way. And he moves right at the beginning with a couple of individuals in terms of their own faith. And you see these different names. It starts right with faith of creation, Abel himself, and then Enoch. Now let's just think about Enoch for a minute. I want to transition here in terms of what he's telling us. Here's something of the complexity. What would you say is the most wonderful thing about Enoch? Well, for me, it's he never tasted death. Enoch walked with God, and then what? He was no more. He was not. What? Okay, now, Lord, if that can be me, I'll take it. Now, not likely going to happen that way. But what else stands out about Enoch? He was a man who what? Who said that? Gold star. Well done. He was a man who pleased God. Now, let's get this straight. Is it possible for human beings to please God? Well, you're going to say yes, because the Bible just said so, of course. There's one example. Yes, it is. Now, again, theologically, when we think about that, our righteousness and our filthy rags, we have no good to bring God. Humanity as it is cannot please God in that sense in which we're all fallen in sin, correct? We, we cannot do anything to please God. We're under his judgment and his wrath and so on. And yet Enoch pleased God. We can please God, but of course, you're all very biblically, uh, biblically astute and so on, and you know these things. We, we can please God, why? Because of his righteousness. Now, don't miss that point. If you're a Christian here tonight, you are not some unvalued, worthless, well, God just got me in by the skin of my teeth and he doesn't really care about me, because sometimes we have that demeanor about ourselves. You're a chosen one of God. Do you think God chooses things he would not love and care for? Of course not. Every individual saved by God's grace has purpose and meaning and value in Christ's kingdom. And if you're a person struggling here with your own self-worth, don't look for self-worth in this world. Look for it in Jesus. Because your identity is not what you feel about the world, it's who you are in Christ. Somebody say amen. It's Sunday night, you can say amen. 
It's who you are in Christ. And if Christ sees me as his precious chosen one, it don't matter what everybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what the world is going to say about me. It doesn't matter what that person at work does to criticize you because it matters what Jesus says. And he says, you're mine. One day, you'll be with me in glory. And here's that perspective of faith. Enoch tells us that. I love the way it puts it there. Enoch, go to verse 5 again. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And then it gets into our verse. We're just going to walk through the text here. And then it gets into our verse here. And then he says, but without faith and without faith, it is impossible to please him. So we can please God, but we cannot do it without faith. And that's why you have this litany of individuals who are commended for their faith in such a way they please God. It wasn't in their attempts to honor God in their own self-righteousness, but I believe, rather, they pleased God as they pursued him with a passion, looking forward to his, the fulfillment of his kingdom, for those pre-Christ coming, looking forward to Messiah, for those of us post-Christ's work on the cross, looking for his return. There's always that looking forward in Scripture, and it must be by faith. So again, go back to verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Okay, so number one, if you want to please God, regardless of who you are, put your trust in him alone. Recognize that you have not the will or capacity or desire to do his will. See your sin, repent of your sin, believe in Jesus Christ, and the Bible says you will be is that what the Bible says? Absolutely. So we want people to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. So if you've put your trust in Christ, you are people by faith. That's us. And notice what the verse goes on to say. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now it's a curious way that, that the writer of Hebrews has put this for us. But he says, whoever would draw near, who would come close to God, must believe that he exists. But here, not just in the, in the sense that, yes, there is a God, but that he exists in such a way that he is my God, and that I bow before my God, the God of the universe, the creator God, Jehovah himself. Believe that he exists, and that he then, as we noticed here, rewards those who seek him. The difficulty sometimes for us is to recognize that this seeking of God for reward is not like what we so often do here. Maybe you have a job where at the end of the year there's a bonus to those who work extra hard and you're pursuing that bonus and you will do all kinds of things because you want that, that bonus at work and you're going to earn that and get that, that prize as it were because you look after it, seek it, and you'll get rewarded and we don't want to take that kind of sort of thinking into this perspective here. He rewards those who seek him. What does that mean? Well, I believe, as the text gives us here, is that we are not pursuing the things for ourselves or what we think God would want. We are pursuing God himself. That our desire is not to be the smartest kid in Sunday school, not to be the greatest church member and all that you do here, it is to know God himself. Now, 
that simple, but I don't want it to be simplistic. I like this quote. Let me read this for you. I just pulled this up. Phil Vischer, I think he was a guy that invented VeggieTales. But he said this, I realized that I'm not supposed to be pursuing impact. I'm supposed to be pursuing God. And when I pursue God, I will have exactly as much impact as he wants me to have. I thought that was pretty good. We want to pursue God. We want to know him. And what happens when we do that? Guess what? Everything else in our world starts to have the impact that God wants us to have in the church, in my home, at my work, wherever it is. It, it starts first with the pursuit of God. What did Jesus say, curiously, on the earth when he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and what? All these things will be added unto you. He recognized that we always pursue the things first and think somehow in pursuing these things and all the drama of life that somehow we'll find the kingdom. He says, no, seek first the kingdom, pursue God, and all these things will be added unto you. He doesn't say all the things on your wish list you'll get, but all the things you need and desire according to God's purpose in your life will be added to you. God will not withhold one iota of blessing that he purposes for you if you will seek him only. Now that's critical because there's sometimes this uh, delicate balancing act. I'm not sure how to put it. Because we want to be faithful in the church. You've been 51 years, and, and we want the church to continue on to be faithful. We have Sunday school, we have dinners, we have prayer meeting, we have church, we have guest speakers, and all of these are important. But in order for those to have impact, you must first seek God himself. All the conferences, all the opportunities for fellowship will be falling for nothing if they don't start with a pursuit of God himself individually and, and corporately. Now, you get that, don't you? But it's easy for us to kind of get drifting. We look at the church calendar and say, oh, dear me, look at all the things we have to get planned here. We've got to make sure we have the Christmas dinner and, and all this outreach and this outreach. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. I, I tend to like dinners. That's, that's in my wheelhouse, all right? But we have to pull back and say, we're going to seek Jesus. Through the word, as our pastor shares it week after week, as we gather for fellowship and prayer, in my individual life, I will be the one like the, the persistent widow. I'm not going to stop praying and pursuing God with these things. Because it says here, he rewards those who seek him. Maybe we don't feel the reward because we don't seek him enough, perhaps. Go back to it here with this as well as we see that, because I want to just notice then, if that's the pursuit, what is this reward that comes to us? Just look at Hebrews 11. What was it with Enoch? Well, you go back, just jot these texts down. Genesis chapter 5, 22 and 24 gives us the account of, of Enoch. Uh, let me see here, Noah, uh, Genesis 6. I'm going to read this one, just pull this one here. Write down Genesis 5, 22 and 24 for Enoch, but Genesis 6 is the one with Noah and a good preacher would memorize this verse, but I'll go to it anyway. Yeah. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was what? A righteous man, blameless with his generation. And what does it say next? Noah walked with God. Enoch was one. Noah as well. I jot it down. Genesis 17, 1. Abraham was another one who walked with God. So I look at it this way and think, okay, even on a 
shall we say, a pragmatic level, if I read in the scriptures that here are three incredible saints of the Lord, Enoch, uh, we say Noah, and Abraham, and they were commended because they walked with God, maybe that's something I should want as well. How will I walk with God? Again, it's not that hard. We pursue him with a passion. We begin to see the work of his hand in our lives. We understand the truth of his word to guide and direct us, and we pursue him. And so everything else here in the chapter is really a reflection of these things. And the reward we have then is the blessing of Christ himself. This is what Sproul says, R.C. Sproul said. But the blessing Christ promised, the blessing of great reward, is a reward of grace. The blessing is promised even though it is not earned. Augustine said it this way, our rewards in heaven are a result of God's crowning his own gifts. Our rewards in heaven are a result of God's crowning his own gifts. It's his grace in us. So it's not this crass, I get something, but what is the reward? Can I put it this way? More of God and his grace. Because everything else pales in comparison. It just doesn't come close. And oh, right now, I just want us to be praying that, Lord, shed from our lives the pursuit of the stuff in this world. Like, it's, it's ridiculous, speaking to myself, of the stuff I desire. I'm a bit of a, not quite a hoarder. I won't get on the Discovery Channel, but I love stuff, old stuff. I keep telling my wife, that box of nuts and bolts in the garage, you'll need that someday, honey. Just trust me, we'll leave it there. There's junk everywhere. We get enamored with stuff and is there anything wrong with stuff no it's just stuff but when that becomes my pursuit there's a problem anything that takes the place of a desire and a hunger and a passion for god is a waste of time is an idol everything we do needs to be the means by which we pursue god harder our jobs our, our relationships is that making sense would you agree with that? Sometimes it might be I'm getting over the top here, but I think that's what the Scriptures make very clear for us here. This is what the Scriptures say, Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. The Lord comes in this way. 1 Corinthians three fourteen. It's interesting when you look at 1 Corinthians 3, where you can have that debate too. What does it mean, rewards in heaven? He says there in verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, the foundation of Christ, he will receive a reward. And so there are rewards in heaven, and some would say degrees of rewards, based upon how much I think we pursue the Lord and his mission. Now again, what that looks like, you can debate. Uh, if Josh gets a little more rewards than me, it's okay, I'm still in heaven, and I've got all that I can enjoy anyway. But, but the pursuit is there. He rewards us in this way. One other text. Go with me to this one. Colossians chapter 3. And the ramblings of this evening will make sense in the morning after you've had a good sleep. So hang in there for a minute. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. This is right in the middle of when the Apostle Paul is giving us instructions about household, wives, husbands, later on the slaves and servants and so on. And notice what he says in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, 
in the, the heirs that we talked about, I think, last night, heirs of the promise, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So based on that, what do we do? Verse 23, whatever you do, work hard, as for the Lord, not for men. So everything we pursue in life with diligence and do the best we can, whether it's playing the piano or putting nuts on bolts on a car, whatever it is, we, we do the best that we can not to see what everybody else thinks about us, but so that God will be glorified through our activities. Everything we pursue has to be, be for him. Now go back to chapter 11 again of Hebrews. Because the problem here is kind of like we see the reward that God has for us, but we kind of want it now. You know, Christmas is coming. When do they start decorating again? January 15th or something? I don't know, anyway. They always start early decorating for Christmas, and you know, the kids, they, they want that Christmas. They want it now. And some of the older folk like that, too. And, and we look at this and say, that's so wonderful. I want the rewards now. And the Lord says, not yet. Oh, yes, there are rewards, daily rewards of God's presence and blessings and the reminders that daily is with us. Is that part of God's reward for us? Absolutely. He keeps us moving forward and blesses us in so many ways, but yet we know there's that, that reward delayed, that it's something not yet. It, it, it's out there. We're looking forward to that. And this is what Clement of Alexandria said. If God rewarded the righteous immediately, we would soon be engaged in business, not godliness. We would be pursuing not piety, but profit. And so there's always that look to the future of where we're going. And notice that in the text here in chapter 11. In fact, look at chapter, uh, look at verse, uh, let's see, chapter 10, verse 35. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Chapter 11 and verse 26. Go back to verse 24 when it talks about Moses. When he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Stop and let that sink into you because that's the kind of life we have to live today. We need to choose to be mistreated by the world for God's glory rather than pursue the pleasures of sin. He considered, verse 26, the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was what? What does it say? Looking to the reward. Now, what do you find very curious about that verse? He considered the reproach of whom? Christ. Wait a minute. Let's get our chronology right here. Had Christ come yet? Ah, see, we're talking about faith. The one to come. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the, to the reward. He had all the treasures and more of Egypt, more than you could ever imagine, and he was willing to shed it off for Christ himself. Isn't that what Paul himself said? He considers all things what? Absolute garbage compared to the joy of knowing Christ. Is that our hearts this evening? I'd like to think so, but we get weighed down by so many things that we forget that that's what we're looking towards. Oh, friends, I think when we look to the future and the promises of God for this church, he will bring many blessings to pass in the life of Trinity Baptist Church, guaranteed because he said he will do that. 
He'll bring many blessings into your life as individual Christians because he said he will do that. But in all of those blessings and all of those challenges and all of those difficulties that are yet to be yours and to trust in Christ in these things, he still has reserved for you the greatest to come. Presence with him in glory. So what should we do? Prepare for his coming by pursuing him with all your heart. Love as he loved. Passionately serve others in Jesus' name and do as he's called you to do. 2 Peter 3.18, after all of this, when Peter's saying the end will come, he says, now you grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, pursue the things of God. Joyfully seek him by living for him. Love as Jesus loved. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Fulfill the demands of Scripture in your life. In this way, you are pursuing God and looking forward to that reward. Secondly, when you think of these things, rejoice in that which awaits you on that day. How often do you ponder heaven? Take some time to do that this week. Just sit there and think about heaven. And if you do it prayerfully and quietly, you will soon get lost in the wonder of God's glory because you can't count eternity. How long is forever? How much is the reward? What will it be like? I don't know, but I can tell you Everything we have here is, is just, just not measuring up. Look forward to what you have and keep looking heavenward. My encouragement to you tonight as we draw this week into a conclusion is keep looking heavenward. That everything that you do as a church makes people look to Jesus. Look up, not down. Look up to his glories. Look up, long for his coming. Look to him. If we pursue those things, do you think that God will reward his church? Absolutely. Does that mean everything will be that we want? Absolutely not. But it'll be exactly what God wants for you, and, and that's best by far. We long for that day. Dear friends, I'm not trying to be dramatic or crazy in any way, but if tonight when we leave this place and one or two of us God calls home, we know that we will have that reward, and one day, <laughs> one day, we'll see each other again. We'll be embraced in the arms of our Savior. That there'll be no more of the, the dissonance of this world and the problems around us, and they're gone. And we say, but I'll miss so-and-so. Yeah, life is hard, but you'll see Jesus. You'll see those who have loved him. We will, in whatever fashion, I know what it look like, I'm going to sit beside Moses, and I have a few questions about the law I want to ask him. We will have that opportunity. You see, the more we long for the things of God, the more useful we will be here. We look for those days. And as one hymn writer's put it, one of my new favorite hymns, it says, I believe in Christ, risen from the dead. He now reigns victorious. His kingdom knows no end. Through his resurrection, death has lost its hold. I know on that final day I'll rise as Jesus rose. On that day. On that day we will see you shining brighter than the sun. On that day we will know you as we lift our voice as one. Till that day we will praise you for your never-ending grace. And we will keep on singing on that glorious day. What a blessed hope, though now tired and worn, we will spend eternity around the Savior's throne. 
Though we grieve our losses, we grieve not in vain, for we know our crown of glory waits beyond the grave. Hallelujah, what a day it will be, for at home with you my joy is complete. As I run into your arms open wide, I will see my Father who is waiting for me. And so on that day, we will see you shining brighter than the sun. On that day, we will know you as we lift our voices one. Till that day, we will praise you for your never-ending grace, and we will keep on singing on that glorious day. Heavenly Father, we do long for that day. But obviously it's not yet. And so we wait with expectation, but hearts so drawn to you, Father, by your grace, that we will seek you with all of our hearts. Lord, encourage us with that pursuit for families, parents, children, uh, all folk here, Father, that our pursuit would not, not be the things of this world, but the things of Christ. And we'll do it longing for that day one day to be in your presence. And we'll give you all the glory and we ask all of this in Jesus' most precious and wonderful name. Amen.